traveling means a lot for me. I think traveling can be like a school because you always learn so many things wherever you go if you're in a different culture. Not only when you travel to a different country, but even inside. For example, for me that I'm from Southern Brazil, when I went to Amazon and I spent one month traveling in there, it was just like a whole new country for me, a whole new Brazil. All the culture and music and even the vocabulary, it's a lot influenced by the indigenous words. For me, it's a kind of school you learn a lot while you're traveling and also for me it's like my anti-stress medicine. I'm not gonna lie, some days I miss the tide, the scent of a saltwater breeze coming over me. But I have no doubt, where I am right now is right where I'm supposed to be. This is the journey of the soul, it's the adventure of me. No matter what I'm told, I know that I am free to roam my own way, to flow in my own sea, to chase my own dreams on this adventure of me. I went back to Brazil because I wanted to finish the university. Then I started studying German when I got back because I wanted to do like an internship or do like a master in Germany. But it came out that it never happened, it didn't work. I had opportunity to start working on board on cruise ships. It was like also a whole new world for me because then I was able to travel a lot and to see a lot of new countries and places and cultures. I went to an agency that they were recruiting to work on board, but I went just to see how it was because they were giving a workshop about life on board and explaining how it was and everything. And I was like, okay, I'm curious. So let's see how it is. It came out at the end, they decided to do an interview. As I was studying German at university and I could speak a little bit of German, they said, well, actually there's a company that's like needing urgently someone who can speak a little bit of German. If you want, you can embark. It, it wasn't even in my plans or in my mind to embark. But like 15 days later, I was in Barcelona boarding the ship. <laughs> so it was like super fast. It was very exciting. Then uh, I finished the first contract and it was like an amazing experience. Then uh, I went back home. I finished, I graduated. And then I was like, well, I think maybe I want to carry on working on board and traveling. That was what I did. I think being on board, it's something that's very dynamic. You're like literally are never in the same place. So you're always moving. And there's something about, I have a kind of relation with water that it's something that really like renovates my energy and bring me peace. So either like a river or a sea or something, but it's there's something that I really feel this connection with water and I, I really feel that I have to always be close to the water. I grew up in Curitiba, that's about like a hundred kilometers from the coast. We had a lot of rivers. I was spending my summer holidays, three months at the beach. Also sometimes going to the countryside and visiting some cousins. There was always rivers and waterfalls nearby. So I've been always in contact with water. I learned how to swim when I was a kid. I was going to swimming lessons and everything. I've been always kind of amazed by the water. It's quite challenging. You must be aware of what you're facing because it's... 
I think the most challenging thing is to accept that your life, it's all inside the ship. Like the same that you live, it's the same that place that you work, that's the same place that you eat, that's the same. So everything, it's inside the ship. You don't have like, well, today I'm not feeling very well. I just go for a walk in the promenade to get a fresh air or something. Got used to it and I guess I could cope quite easily right from the beginning and it was nice so on the other hand for example every time off that you have it's like a mini holidays because one day you have like today you have four hours off in Barcelona tomorrow you have three hours off in Marseille in France and the next day somewhere in the Canary Islands I think it's all about giving the right weight to the good things and not to the bad things I mean, I could really struggle living on board and saying, oh my God, I'm far from my family or like, oh, my cabin, it's so small or I'm working so many hours or I don't have like days off. But I always prefer to highlight the, the good side of it. I can see many places, I can taste many different food and see many cultures and go to the beach and relax here and then there. I always try to kind of keep the balance or try to see more the, the good aspects of it. I did quite a few seasons in the Mediterranean and I really love Croatia. It's uh, such a nice country. It's like as a kind of, well, I'm from Brazil. For me, most countries, they are small countries, but Croatia, it's a small country. And they have such a beautiful coastline. They have amazing islands. If you go a bit inland, they also have some beautiful canyons and waterfalls. I remember that I had the opportunity to visit a canyon in Omish and some islands also close to Dubrovnik and to Split. It was like very interesting. It's one of my favorite countries. Greece also, it's amazing. You can eat very well and you have beautiful landscapes and you have super friendly people. You're always limited by time, but you have an entire season. For example, I have only I don't know, four hours in Santorini, but I have four hours maybe every week. For example, every Tuesday I'm in Santorini. So this Tuesday I have four hours, next Tuesday I will have four hours, and this during like three or four months. At the end, if you organize, you can visit and see a lot because each day you take to visit one place. There's uh, different cruise lines and different cruise itineraries. I used to work in the beginning for a company. They had seven days itineraries. Usually we were like doing the season during three, four or five months and then in the same place doing the same itinerary. Every day of the week we were in the same place during four months. That's amazing. Then we could really explore quite a lot the place. Sometimes in, in the free time you always have to choose if you want to rest or if you want to go out or if you want to go to the gym. It's nice. For me, my priority was always to see the places. My first priority was always to go out from the ship. But my shifts usually... I, I was working at the reception there I was working in the morning I had like part of the afternoon free and working in the evening again or I was like having the morning free and then working in the afternoon and then late at night one thing that I really liked it to do it was to be the night shift at the reception usually I was working from 11 in the evening until like 7 or 8 in the morning 
and then I had the entire day free. I could organize my time between sleeping, eating and going out. It was the time that I could enjoy the most. There's a lot of different duties. Basically, it's divided between hospitality, that's the hotel department, the engine department and the deck department that's the bridge but inside the hotel department then there's like a lot of things you can work like with housekeeping with restaurant in the bar reception or you can work in what we call the concessionaries that are the spa on board doing massages or being a hairdresser or like being a shop seller smaller ships are more i used to feel that they are more like a family you know more people you see people more often and bigger ships sometimes it takes like one week until you see the same person again it's a lot different but also on bigger ships usually you have more options especially for the guests the big ships that i worked some of them they had like 19 bars four restaurants two swimming pools, indoor swimming pool. They have like a lot of options. Usually the big ships that I work, we had up to, I think, 3000 guests. Now they have some ships and they have this class of ship that they have up to 6000 passengers. So it's insane. It's like a city. I usually, I guess it's like 2000 stuff or even more for such a big ship as usually like the good memories are doing the things that you're not supposed to do or that you're not allowed to do <laughs> i remember i have some good memories it was the day that we were asking drinks in the bars and the bartenders they were giving us free drinks and then after we were like quite drunk and then we were like taking the wheelchair of the wall because there was like these wheelchairs for the passengers like in case something happened and just like running in the corridors of the ship you know <laughs> it was super funny and then we went to the backstage of the theater where there's like the shows and we were like putting up like the fantasies the dresses and everything it's the wigs we do have some awkward and challenging situations with some guests or with some accidents on board it happens like people passing away while on board i guess this is this can be quite normal because it can happen anywhere at any time this is quite challenging situations a very sensitive situation especially if you have or if you don't have family members on board and to inform and to provide call and all type of assistance and everything. You need to be very empathic to deal with these situations. Provide like the, the most support as we can. Usually we have some trainings and we have to learn how to deal with different situations. Almost 10 years, I think. I think it was eight years maybe working on board yeah indeed i really enjoyed and it's funny because some people while they were on board they couldn't wait for going back home and finish the contract and then once they were at home they were like oh no i'm so bored i really want to go back on board and they didn't enjoy the time that they were like leaving for me it was like until the end of my contract i was like yeah it's nice to be on board and when i was at home i was just enjoying my time at home i was just living the moment once, I think, between my first and my second contract, because I had to graduate at university, I spent, I think, eight months at home. It was in 2015 or 16 that I decided that I want to improve my German language. So I went to Berlin for three months 
to study German. I spent some time there. Usually my time off the ship was really well enjoyed. I was doing quite a lot and I was like not hurrying to, to go back on board. I was staying at least two or three months at home between one contract and the other. This was a, a very curious time because I had just changed company. I was still learning and training and everything. I, I was like the ship I, I boarded, it was operative for one month until the, the COVID crisis like stuck just like kind of stopped everything then on 15th of march we suspended the operations we disembarked all the guests that we had and then we couldn't have any other guests on board then we were quarantining it was very challenging we were not allowed to leave the ship at some point we had some cases on board we had four cases so when it happened, they act actually really fast. All the crew members, because from 15th of March, we only had crew members on board. From this time, uh, and then since like it came out these cases, we all went in isolation for 21 days. We were not able and not allowed to leave the cabin. We were like stuck inside the cabin for 21 days getting food on the door and getting the temperature measured twice a day. It was very challenging, but at the same time, I felt really well taken care of. They were providing us food and we were in guest cabin. So we had a balcony, we had a more comfortable place to stay. After that, they also gave us the option to remain on board. If we were feeling safer on board than going back home, that's what I opted for. I was transferred to the newest ship of the company and it's a super modern ship and super comfortable and it's the ship that uh, Celebrity Cruises made history with. It was the first ship to sail with an uh, entire female command. We had Captain Kate that was like amazing. We had Milana that was like a hotel manager that was also great. All this female team just made this atmosphere like a family. It was like really nice. They were really giving their best to make us feel comfortable and at home. I, I, I can say that there was no better place to be at that moment because we were in a kind of bubble and isolated. We had good food, we had comfortable cabins. They were trying their best to do entertainment activities for us, like dance lessons or like scavenger hunt around the ship. We were not working, so we were not getting paid. And until a certain date, we were getting a kind of like help. We were getting an amount of money, but not much. But we were not working, just the fact of being there, safe, getting food and everything. I think it was already very nice from the company. We had a balcony and we had our own bathroom. Well, it was challenging, but I mean, there was not much that we could do about it. I mean, it is what it is. That's what we have. In the beginning, I was trying to do some exercises in the cabin, like some aerobics or something like this. But at the end, I just couldn't follow it. They made available a lot of movies that we could watch in the TV. They gave us free internet so we could video call with family members and be in contact with people. Just the, the gym and the, the swimming pool that they were not open because there was this regulatory 
the CDC in the US, they forbidden the ships to open gym and the swimming pool for the crew members. So we could not use it. Our ships, they were basically in the Bahamas coast because the Royal Caribbean group, they have one private island there that's called Coco. So we were basically anchored near Coco and we were going like maybe once every 10 days or 15 days to Miami to get the supplies for the ship. We were not super close to land, so sometimes we could just like see water around us. Now the restrictions are still quite big, like the, the operations didn't resume yet. But in the first stage, I know that the crew members, they are not allowed to go out from the ship. So I think this is a very big limitant for me because my main motivation to be on board and to work on board is to visit the places and to see the places. I guess while we are in this stage, probably I'm not going back. I, I guess eventually I will go back on board. After some time on board, I think the time was very important for me because I think I really needed this time with myself and to rethink about many things, what I was doing or what I wanted to do and everything. Iceland has been a dream for me for over 20 years that I had left behind somehow. At some point, I just like refreshed this kind of things that I wanted to do. At first, I just decided that I didn't want to go back to Brazil because the situation was not very nice there. Then I thought about going to Italy because I have Italian citizenship. And if I can go to Italy, I can go to anywhere in Europe. So then maybe I'll go to Denmark because before I was also planning to go there for a master degree. And then like at the bottom of the memory, I found like this Iceland name and I was like, well, that's a, a very long dream that I have like to, to spend some time in Iceland and why not now? Because everywhere that I choose to go now, I will have to start from scratch and the, the chances of things to work in or not work in are basically the same everywhere because this crisis has hit the entire world. It's not like only one country or the other. Basically, my chances to succeed are the same wherever I go. Why not trying the place that I always wanted to be for so long? From the day that I had the idea about coming to Iceland until the day that I was landing in Reykjavik, it was only 15 days. So it was something quite spontaneous that came to my mind. It, it kind of like worked out like very fast and like it just happened. They gave me the flight to here. They, they were supposed to fly me to my address because they fly me from and to home always when, I, when I'm boarding. But at this point, it was like a very awkward situation with COVID crisis. And they allowed me to, to change my ticket. I decided that I wanted to come to Iceland and they flew me to Iceland. Some of the countries still, they have some restrictions. In some of the countries, I know that some nationalities, they are not allowed to go out or if they want to go out, they need to pay for a visa, either as Brazilian or as Italian. I never had like these restrictions, so I could always go out in the country. As Iceland is part of the EFTA community, then I could just come without any problem. It's just amazing because I just got like my Italian citizenship like last year. It was like just amazing to, to start using it in such a nice way. I, I have ancestors from Italy. My great-grandfather was Italian. Italian. 
So I had to gather all the documents and apply and start the process of citizenship. I did this in Italy and it took me three months more or less to get it. Three months in Italy, but it took me like one year to gather all the documents because it's a lot of documents that you need to find and then find documents in Italy, send to Brazil, translate, validate and then correct the like documents in Brazil. It's a lot of work, but it was something that I really wanted to. So I really devoted my time to it. And uh, let's say that in one year and three months from the beginning, from the very zero point of the process, like one year and three months later, I had my Italian passport in hand. I had only one friend because I was here with the cruise ship in 2015. He was the one who said, well, just come. If you need some help, I can help. I can help you to find like a place to stay or like a job or something like this. The situation, it's not easy here either. But I guess if you really want to come and if you want to make things happen and if you are open to anything that it comes, you can just make it. That's what I needed, I guess, to come. And then here I am now, almost seven months living in Iceland and like working in two different jobs and having a kind of nice routine, like practicing sports, learning the language. Couldn't be happier, I guess, with the choice I've made. When I came, I came with money for like one month and a half without job. After that, I don't know what would happen. Luckily, this friend of mine, he helped me to get my first job in a restaurant. And then things start going quite fine. Then I met a Brazilian that now it's a friend of mine. And he kind of suggested me at Omnon. He, they opened some spaces for the Christmas production that they had like to increase a bit. They were needing more people. I entered as a temporary worker. At the end of the time, they just said, well, we, if you want to stay, you, you can stay working with us. And it was like just perfect for me. Well, Iceland appears to me in its very first time back in 2001, when I was watching MTV program, I saw the video Pagan Poetry from Bjork. And I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. This song, it's so different. And she's like so unique. And I start getting really curious. And then I start listening to her other songs. I ended up buying Vespertine, the, the album that she had released that year. And reading more about her and watching some interviews. She was saying that she was from Iceland and I was like, wow, I never heard about this place. In some of her videos, she was shooting in Iceland and showing the landscapes. And for me, it was just so beautiful. This is where it started, my kind of passion for Iceland. I, I always say that Bjork was the spark for my fire for Iceland. From 2001 to now, we have a lot of more access to information, pictures and reading about the places. Things changed really fast from then. I had access to a lot of more like pictures and informations about the country. I was like more and more fascinated about Iceland. And I was like, well, yeah, at some point I really need to to like experience this country. And as in Iceland, you have a lot of seasonal things. I was like, well, I need either to spend one year there or to visit the country four times in different seasons, because there are so many things that you can only do in the winter or only in the summer that I, I think to, 
to experience like a hundred percent of Iceland at least one year you have to stay. It was in 2015 or 2016 I was doing the northern sea season and one of the trips we came to Iceland so we had three or four days here. We docked in here in Reykjavik and then also in Isafjordur and in Akureyri. By that time I didn't have like an ice manager. I asked her to, to make a schedule that I could like go out in Iceland because it was a very nice trip for me to visit. But she just did the opposite. So she put me in a schedule that I was basically it was not matching with the time that we were docked. I couldn't see much, like only here in Reykjavik, that I was able to walk a little bit. It was very nice, but the other places I couldn't see much. It was also nice because then that thing of like, no, I want to explore didn't go away because I wasn't able to see much. I kind of carried this, this wheel of being Iceland with me then, since then. When I docked here, I didn't actually have much time to walk around or something i think maybe i went to a cd shop and i bought like one of her albums while i was here when we were still buying cds before spotify age i i bumped into her in the first week that i was here I was just walking uh, close to the city hall and I was hearing someone speaking English with a very strong Icelandic accent behind me and I was like, well, if one day I, I hear Björk talking in the street, I'll never recognize because all of them, they have like this strong accent. And then when I looked back, it was her. And then I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And then, of course, despite all this like Icelandic tradition of not bothering famous people or people that you like, you just let them be and let them go. Well, my Brazilian side just like shout out way louder and I had to stop her and tell her that like that she meant a lot to me. That was in Iceland now and like everything started with her. I asked her to take a picture with her, of course, and she told me that she just doesn't do it with anyone. It was nothing personal for me, but she just doesn't do it. And then I was like, okay, it's fine. At least like I saw her, I, I talked a little bit to her. Iceland always surprises you with a lot of special moments, especially when it comes to weather or when you are traveling that you expect to be sunny and at the end it's like super windy or super cloudy or raining or something like this. You just decided that you don't want to travel, but then at the end you say, well, I guess it is what it is. This is the weather, so let's just go. And then at the end, it's just super beautiful. Like despite the weather being super cloudy, you can just get amazing pictures of the landscape. I think everything, it's very unique and very special here in Iceland. I think I tried to seize all the moments. It was the very first time that I saw the Northern Lights. Because Northern Lights, it has been a dream since I was a kid, I guess. To read about it and to see in the movies or something like this. The very first time I saw it, I got so emotional, so emotive. It was just so nice to see it. And there's one song of her that's called Aurora. I always wanted to be listened to the song like while watching it. And then I just played the song and it was like just like a marvelous moment. I, I guess I would never forget. I think this is one of the most special moments here in Iceland. Sometimes I talk to my mom or people back home and they are like super worried, like, oh my God, like five earthquakes in one day. Are you okay? 
I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm just waiting for this eruption that never comes. <laughs> I'm super excited about it because it's something that I, I wasn't predicting that I could ever see here in Iceland. Once I know it's in an area that's not causing any harm for anyone, it's not threatening like buildings or like cities or something like this. It can just happen. I mean, it would be just beautiful. And apparently it won't be like an explosive eruption. So I guess like nothing like with Eyjafjallajökull in 2010 that we will like stop the aerial traffic and everything. Just bring it on this eruption. <laughs> There's a lot of places that I still want to visit. But even if I feel that my trips are very meaningful to me, I think they could be even more if I do something for the community, for the places that I go. I really think about traveling for fun with doing some volunteering like somewhere or in the places that I visit. Something with wildlife sanctuaries, it would be something that I would be super willing to do. But also working with people, with kids, just teaching kids something or playing with kids. I think it would be very nice as well. I would say that my first big trip was December 2007 when I went to South Africa for an English course to spend three months and I ended up one year in South Africa. I would say that Lion King was my inspiration. I has been always quite addicted to the Disney cartoon. Since then, I was growing this feeling of doing a safari and watching the animals in the wild. In South Africa, it was funny because I went there initially for three months for this summer English. Once I decided to stay longer, I had to request the visa extension. Because as a tourist, you get a three-month visa and afterwards, if you want to stay longer, you need to request the visa extension. I went to the Home Affairs Department and I requested and usually every three or six months, you need to request again because they give you an extension of three or six months. And the first time that I went there, they actually stamped my passport with two years and three months of visa. And then it was like, well, I guess it means that I have to stay longer, really. I went for this English course and I was like traveling sometimes. And then I, I got a job in one of the best companies of the country that they were specialized in overland trips. It was basically like safari trips and uh, they were paying with trip instead of paying with money. At the end, I got this uh, 27 days trip around Southern Africa, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana and Zimbabwe. I was traveling, I think, with a backpack. It was not like a big bag. I didn't have many things also because it's like very hot place. You don't need a lot of clothes. You can just wash something in the morning and then in the afternoon it's already dry. Well, I didn't have a lot of things, I guess, like a pair of light trousers, some t-shirts, some vests, like tank tops, like swimsuit, my Havaianas that I love to use. Havaianas, now it's a quite traditional Brazilian brand for flip-flops. It was just amazing because it was like a camping trip. We, we were traveling in this big truck and in the truck we had like the fridge, they had like the oven and they were cooking. It was like 
the guide and the assistant so the the guide's driver and the assistant basically the one who was cooking it was like this big truck that you were traveling then we had the tents inside the truck and then the small mattresses everything was inside the trucks we were stopping in some places and then we were camping it was just amazing because in some places like in Botswana there's uh, the Okavango Delta we camped really in the wild. I remember that it's some islands during the flow time. I remember that the island that we're supposed to camp, when we arrived, our guides, they had to chase away some elephants that were there. During the night, it was like just normal to hear the elephants stepping very near your tent. In Okavango Delta, in one of the evenings, we had like these local guides that they, we call them, they were our polars that are the ones who guide the canoe that we move inside the delta. In one of the evenings, they made some fire and they were singing some traditional songs and dancing around the fire. That was really magic to hear and to see and to feel the energy. I have some videos and some audios recorded and sometimes I hear and it's like, it, it just bring me back to the moment you know the elephants were okay it was not something that scared me sometimes we could hear the lions as well they are like super far but you can still hear them it was not a threat at all but also there's a lot of hippos there in the delta the hippos are the the African animals that kill more people in Africa more than lions they are very aggressive because they are very territorialists. I remember that there was like some cases that usually they are in a kind of lagoon that we call the hippo pool, but sometimes they just like go in one of the channels or something like this. And if they face one of the boats, probably they will fight against it. It can be quite dangerous. I remember that the polars, they were telling stories about like that they lost some friends or some family members attacked by hippos. It was quite dangerous. This was something that was like a bit threatening. And one of the days we went for the sunset in the hippo pool and it was just amazing. They were on the corner, sometimes just diving and like merging again very close to us and then diving again. And we were like, oh my God, where they are now? It was a nice experience. And like the guides, they were always keeping us safe. In Botswana, I think they speak Tswana. It's a different language. It was in South Africa because in the school that I studied, that I was working before, there was one of the ladies there that she was closer and she was teaching me some of the some words, some greetings. The one that I always remember, it's like that she taught me how to say I just speak a little bit of Kosa. That's Ingiteta is in Kosa I lived in Cape Town, which is a very specific region. They have a, a lot of influences. In Cape Town they have what they call the Cape Malay cuisine. That's this kind of fusion cuisine that they have the influence from Middle Eastern. They have a lot of spices. I believe it has also some influence from the Dutch cuisine. It's, it's a kind of fusion, which it's like really good. The first thing that comes to mind, there was something that I used to love to eat there and we don't have in Brazil, for example, it's rusks. That's like a toast, but it's made out of a cake. It's like a kind of sweet toast. You had like chocolate rusk or orange rusk that was made out of orange cake. I remember that there was another lady that worked with me 
and she adopted me as her son. She was always cooking and giving me some food and she used to make a type of biryani rice that was like amazing, super tasty. Usually then it was simple food like salads or sandwiches or even when we were cooking it was a lot of rice. They use a lot of pap. I think you kind of drop a lot of prejudices when you travel. When you experience a different culture, you learn to assess a lot more the things that you have that people don't usually have. For example, when I came back home from South Africa, I was a lot more careful about like wasting food, just throwing food away or putting food on my plate that I wouldn't finish eating because I visited some places that people, they really didn't have option on what to eat. I guess automatically I became more careful about like wasting food. Unfortunately in Brazil, we have this mindset and culture that everything that comes from abroad, it's better. A lot of people, they visited like Europe or the US, but they, they haven't visited a lot of Brazil. This is just a shame because for me so far, I can say that there's no country like Brazil when it comes to nature and landscapes and nature beauty. It's just a shame that people take for granted Brazil. Always when I go back to Brazil, I try to explore a new place because there's so many places to see. Everything is so beautiful and so rich in biodiversity. We have many different biomas and places that you just find in Brazil. It's funny because it's kind of super odd for what society expects from you, right? I think not only in Brazil, but I mean, uh, when you are in your mid-30s, probably it's the time that you already finish paying your house and with your car and maybe with your family. And then you're stable and happy to the society eyes when you are kind of like just settle yourself somewhere. I guess when you just go against this standard, for people it's just like very, oh wow. You know, so some people come to me and they say like, wow, I, I think I, I couldn't live a life like you. And some people say, well, I wish I was brave enough to do what you do. You know, I started hiking and really appreciating this contact with nature, mountains, when I was at university, I guess, because it was not very common for me. I mean, I don't come from a family that does it like on the weekend with family. I kind of started with friends and I start really enjoying it. Now I can say that this is my favorite best time. When I have free time, I really want to be in contact with the nature or hiking up a mountain to have a beautiful view or just enjoying a waterfall. I guess it's like very, very different views of the way I live the life. I think it's just inside me. This one was when I went with my mom, I think, in 2015. So when it's possible, I took her to South Africa back. That I took her to a part of the same trip that I did because I want her to see. I remember that once when we stopped for lunch by the road to close to a bee house and then suddenly start coming like a lot of bees in the food and flying around us. And then we just have to pick the things and go. This was a quite funny situation. We, we've been traveling together always. That was a very special. I can say that was the most special trip, I think, in my life. When I brought her to South Africa and to Namibia 
and we did part of the trip that I have done in 2008 together. She saw all these amazing places after she was growing this feeling for traveling. And before South Africa, we also went together to Greece and Turkey, and it was like really beautiful. She went for a month in Asia, like Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and in, in Laos. She went with a travel agency, like a group, with people that she didn't know, with one niece. She always wanted to see Angkor Wat in Cambodia. I was always telling her, mom, you shouldn't wait for me. If you want to go, just go. She started studying English when she was 67 because she motivated her to do it and to use on her trips and everything. I'm so proud of her. She went for this trip alone without me. She was sending me the pictures and she was super excited. And yeah, I'm very happy because she kind of like fulfilled one of her dreams to see. We are very connected. We have a really strong connection. It's hard not to be together during these times. But we are talking every day on WhatsApp and video calling every week. I feel we are still quite close. She never had this in mind, but I guess now she has with all the pictures that I sent to her. But she always tells me that after Angkor Wat, like her biggest dream is to see the pyramids in Egypt. I guess this is our next trip. That's where I want to go next. Yeah, it's difficult to say it because like for more optimistic that we are, I don't know like if it COVID will end, but at least like if we learn how to cope with it. Yeah, I think to go back home and spend some time with my family and being able to hug them and be like very close to them, it's like my priority for now. When it comes to studies now, I would like try to do a certificate that I can join my my like graduation with my life on board. So there's a certificate that I can take and then I can apply the position of environmental officer on board. And this is something that I would definitely do. If I look back, then we can come back to that, uh, to that quote that you mentioned. I really appreciated the way to be where I am now. And I don't think I would change because even in the mistakes, I think I have learned a lot and it was a kind of big lesson for me. Everything that I've been through until now, it's something that made me grow, even being a good or a bad experience. I don't think I would be like some, I would give some advice if I met Diego, like from 2001, to change something. I think I wouldn't. I traded hurricanes for monsoonal rains and I love that I have no idea what's next. It could be northern lights, rocky mountain highs, I've learned to be open to anything. This is the journey of the soul, it's the adventure of me. No matter what I'm told, I know that I am free to roam my own way, to float in my own sea, and chase my own